we're back here on episode three of Cinecipi Chat, and I'm with Josh Boyman, and we are digging deep into the history. We left off episode two with um, some talk about the routing of the club. We were talking about Chip Evans, who played here. Chip was a U.S. Open champion. Chick. 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 Okay. Yeah. Chick Evans. The, he was a U.S. Open champion and also a U.S. Amateur champion. He was the first person to win the U.S. Amateur and U.S. Open in the same year. Yep. And later, Bobby Jones did that. But he was Chick Evans was before Bobby Jones. Right. Okay. Yeah. To do that. So. And Chick had come here to give the club advice in 1914 on... On, on our golf course in general. Uh-huh. Um, kind of, so the, the short synopsis of what... What he came back with was the Sinisippi course, and th- this is what was written in the paper that he that he said. So it's a little written sounding, but the Sinisippi course has the best natural advantages of any course in the state, and certain improvements could be made to make it into the finest nine-hole links in Wisconsin. Uh, his suggestions were generally add more traps, bunkers, and hazards, especially on approach shots on the sides of the green and side traps, which will compel the player to keep on the green. So it used to be that they could do it. They used to do a lot more bump and runs out here because there was no traps to, to catch anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they just rolled on there. And then he said also holes five and six, and we got to think about this because it ran backwards back then, but holes five and six could be made into one hole and breaking number nine into two holes. Hole seven should have the tee box moved back about 50 yards, and that would make it probably the best hole on the course. And the distance of that hole then would be about 430 yards. Uh, these changes would these changes to the links would require the players to place their shots rather than just having to bat the ball around. Hmm. So when he says those hole numbers, it's not. It wouldn't be anything like the holes we have here right now. It would have been from what we've gathered. It would be. It was nine holes at that time, right. so it would have been what our what we know is our back nine now, more or less on that land, but not the holes that we play on our back nine. Right, and to that there is also um, we must not have taken on all of the changes that he suggested because I found later in 1924 it was noted uh, a double eagle was made by Arthur Granger. Get this on our 605 yard number six hole. And he made it in just three strokes. No, I back that up. Um, he noted in 1924, a double eagle was made by Arthur Granger on our 605-yard par six hole. So, so we actually three. had we had a par six. Again, par this six. was back in 1924. And a double so. eagle would be a three. Yep. He he had a long drive followed by a long iron and finished with a 150-yard approach that rolled into the hole. Huh. So, I, I just thought that was interesting. And what One, was the hole number on that? I, yeah, that's where I got confused with my writing. I don't know what the hole was, what the actual hole was, but it was a par six. So, yeah. I wonder, for 600 yards, it must have... Well, I wonder if I wonder it wonder wasn't... If it was, I would almost think that it was number nine, because that's the one that Chick Evans said to break it into two holes. Which, at nine at that time, would have, if it came back to the clubhouse... Could have been where our ninth green is, but maybe started, you know, down by 12T. Who knows? Yeah, I, actually, know? that would that would probably make sense. I guess now we got to 
run out there and see how long of a distance that is. If you were, yeah, it'd probably be <laughs> 600 yards from 12 T to nine green, our current 12 T. But I wonder what the trees would have been like there. Well, I should show you that picture downstairs of that overhead, which I'm, I'm guessing would have been taken in the 60s. If you look at the overhead of the golf course, there is like no trees. They're just like little bushes at that time. Really? Um, it's a fascinating picture. And so like the area that we know um, between our 12th hole and 14th hole, that's kind of the woods or yeah. between our 11th to 12th holes. It's just a speckle of a few trees in there. And now it's like, it's like woods, like it's thick. Yeah. And um, um, same by like our 14th tee. It was very few trees uh, or there was a lot of, I'll have to show you the picture, but it's on the wall downstairs. So um, interesting. It's a, it's a cool picture to look at. And that's, that's the same picture I was talking about in an earlier episode that shows the 16th green, not where the current 16th green is. It's oh, yeah. more where the bee where the bees are at. So that, it's a fun picture just to look at and uh, see how much this place has come. And I don't know when the picture was taken. I'm guessing in the 60s. Okay. Uh, maybe even the 70s, but probably probably 50s or 60s, actually, because um, the trees were small and um, it took them a while to get as big as they are now. So. You're right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, and to that, there was the second part or the second ace was recorded on that whole 12 in 1951. Okay. So even if we had expanded, you know, to be 18 holes, so you would think that 12, how, however it was laid out, would be on somewhere on our front nine now. Mm -hmm. But if the first ace was recorded on that in 1930, the second was was recorded in 1951, that routing must have, like you said, I, I got a little overwhelmed, so I kind of stopped about there. Right. But So um, we don't know when we went from nine holes to 18 holes. Well, no, we do. That's they expanded in 1927 is when they expanded into the 18 hole. Okay, okay. So that was in 27. But as so, far as where the routing changed, right? To be that whole 12 being par three is, I guess, just kind of where I get stuck at. Right. Trying to figure out because I've I've kind of thought backwards, the layout backwards, going 18 to one, but the math doesn't add up. It yeah. can't be number five and it can't be number three. Yeah. You know. And when Dick had told me that. We, um, about the routing being backwards, I, you know, it was kind of general in a general sense. It went sure. backwards, but um, yeah, it'd be fascinating to note to have some sort of document of that. You know, there's that's one thing that you know a lot of old clubs they're pretty proud of who their architect is, Donald Ross or Alistair McKenzie or you know the list goes on Seth and on. Rainer. Seth Rayner, and and we don't we don't have one that we know of. But I often wonder, you know, there was golf course architects in this area did they stop by did they give advice like chick evans did did they right you know did maybe we have an architect and somehow lost record of that oh, or um, i know. suppose it's certainly possible i mean i heard the in digging around um you know the the clubs that we have downstairs mm -hmm. in the in the trophy club or in, in the trophy bar you know they found those in the attic of um it was it was a member's house. They were digging around. They found those old sticks was in their Dick attic. Ross? I think it was. Dick I think Ross. It, I think it was Dick, Dick Ross. It was yeah. Dick Ross. He yeah. found him in his attic. Yeah. You know, just <laughs> the the stuff that the clubs that came across the ocean right. to start were just sitting up in his attic somewhere. You know, unbeknownst sure. for how many years. I'm sure, sure if we had any of that information, it could easily have been lost by now. Well, when you were talking about Alexander Galbraith, the founder 
who was a original person to bring Clydesdale to the United States, right? Yeah. Well, there's a picture downstairs of a, of a Clydesdale that um, it has a letter to go along with it, but it talks about some of that. But I, I guess I didn't realize that that was his... He was the first person to bring Clydesdales to America. That's pretty oh, fascinating. Yeah, he's if if anybody, I mean, you want to read about Alexander Galbraith. He was um, highly sought out after. Um, just he knew he was a judge in many competitions. I mean, he was the top of the top in that industry. Mm-hmm. Um, he he brought over a thousand stallions and mares, you know, to Janesville. Wow. Yeah. And all those, he was from Scotland and those... Yeah, he was originally from Scotland and... So Clydesdales, I assume, come from Scotland, that's their... That, that's what I would assume too. I uh, guess I could have looked a little right. deeper into where Clydesdales originate from, but, you know, that's where he was traveling back to. He was traveling back to Scotland and, you know, bringing these horses back, so... Huh. So yeah. fascinating. It man. is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're going to... Are you done? Oh, you I, done? I got just a little bit okay. more. So, so here's the thing. So... Chick Evans uh, came by in 1912 to 1916. Um, yeah, so um, so Chick Evans comes back. Oh, by the way, a fun note on Chick Evans. He played with only seven or eight clubs. Huh, right? Yeah, was, that's just incredible. U.S. Open champion, he only played with seven or eight clubs. But wow. that's, that's not what I was looking for, though. So 1916, though, was a big year for our club. That's when... Sinisippi and the Janesville Country Club merged. Okay. Um, and it was put in the paper uh, in January, and by March, they it was announced that they had been turned into one club. So it was a quick action. You know, once they started talking about it, this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, then also, later in 1916, um, there were going to be changes around here. There was a new locker room for the ladies, uh, shower baths, a new kitchen, quarters for the chef, um, a new locker room for the women or for the men. And then the old one, the old locker room was going to be used as a lodging room and then some new shower baths as well. Wow. Um, what about also, the superintendent? Did he get lodging? You know, it doesn't say anything about the, the superintendent. Huh. But all of that, um, and they financed that, again, amongst the, the club members, they sold shares, uh, $3,000 to get all that work done. Wow. You know, it's yeah. just wild. Uh, but so with all that going on, this was the, I think, the other fun part that I told you about on the phone. Um in 1916 in July, I guess um, the caddies must have kind of started looking at, oh. hey, what's all this going on? Because they went on strike. Uh, we had a caddy <laughs> strike here in 1916, and the caddies demanded 25 cents a bag and 15 cents for replay rounds. Huh. Um, they felt this was necessary as slow players, women, and bad tippers did not allow them to make the same per round for who they were caddying for. So they got... They wanted a quarter for four hours of work. Well, but then there was only nine holes. Oh, nine holes. Okay, so for two but, hours of work. But the other interesting thing, I, I don't think I mentioned this, um, in looking through all this stuff, and some of it's not relevant, but it's just interesting. Um, they used to, so you were a member here. Uh-huh. It started out, it was, a, it was a buck. And then I don't remember the year where they changed it to $5, but they thought the whole place was going to shut down because they increased the... You know, the dues so much from a dollar to five dollars. Yeah. But then from there on, or not from there on, but then when you came out to play, you got charged per day that you played out here. Oh. So if you came out with your friends, it, you, uh, if you remember, it was 50 cents for the day okay. to be able to play golf. And then if you had a guest, uh, it was a dollar for the guest. So if the caddies are charging 25 cents, 
um, I mean, they're getting almost half of what you're paying, right? You know, for yeah. a round. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they were being a little. So did we hear how this got resolved? You found, did, did not we... hear how it got. Re- oh, the only part, I didn't exactly hear how it got resolved. Other than that, uh, they were going to start making the cat. If they were going to do this, the caddies were going to uh, start wearing uniforms. So oh, so <laughs> that's they... kind of where it ends in the newspaper. It was. Uh, the Caddy Master's retort was that uh, then we're going to get organized here. If you guys want to get paid this, then you're going to look like professional you caddies. Look the part. You're going to wear uniforms and yeah. no more shorts and t-shirts. <laughs> you're going to you're going to sweat if you're going to make that twenty five. Yeah. Cents. So <laughs> okay, well that's probably read between the lines. That's probably how it got resolved. They yeah, got I think quarter, so. But they had to look better. Right. Huh. Yep. Well, fascinating, Josh. Now. I hope you're not done. You're still on your, you're. Yeah, yeah, you know. no, I'll, I'll keep digging. I, I think I got through about 19, uh, well, right up to just the early 1920s. Um, so I got to see what other information is out there. I, I did kind of jump around uh, in 1965. So uh-huh. I'm going a little bit ahead here from 1924. Uh-huh. Um, is when the club decided to put irrigation on the fairways. Okay, yeah. And this caused concern for the state PGA championship, which was going to be played at the Janesville Country Club, but they were worried we weren't going to get the work done in time. Oh. So that, uh, 1966, the, uh, the PGA champ, well, the state PGA championship, uh, got played at Bigfoot Country Club instead of here, um, just because they didn't think we'd get the irrigation done in time. Right, right. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. I was like, Wow. Oh, and um, same time we were spending money on that. We were refurbishing a swimming pool and the clubhouse. So, I mean, there was a lot of stuff going so on. So, 1916 here. was a big year, and it sounds like the 60s again. Yeah, were, it sounds like uh, the 60s an were another time. Um, sounds like, well, some of the stuff I dug around, the, the 30s, while going through the Depression, they actually considered turning this back into farmland. Say that again. In the 30s. In the 30s, with the Depression going on, it was uh, talked about that they were just going to essentially close the club and turn it back into farmland. No kidding. Yeah. but uh, And that would have just, all that would have been lost. All would have been lost. And by then, actually, Alexander Galbraith wasn't even around anymore. Okay. Um, he actually moved to Canada. Oh. Um, and that was in the late 20s. Okay. Um, that he actually moved to Canada. So at that point, I don't know how many of the other original founding members were still members, you know, that they would have kept putting money in to, to keep it, you know, going. Right. But, um, yeah, obviously the depression was a tough time and, but we survived that. Yeah. And, uh, we'll see what we can figure out from, from there going forward. Well, this has been some fascinating stuff, Josh, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to uh, get these podcasts out to our listeners. And, uh, Absolutely. in the meantime, if you, I would love to find out more cause you found, you found, I mean, it's blowing my mind the stuff that you found out in the last few weeks. So, um, yeah. so if you find out some more stuff, we're going to definitely get you back on here. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be fun. Cool. Thanks again, Josh. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye.